Listener Production. You are listening to episode 145 of the Howie Games Part B featuring Tearaway Quick and now very calm cat, Mitchell Johnson. Play. The thing I enjoy most about the privilege of doing this podcast, Mitch, is that there's no one in 140-odd episodes that has started playing sport and dominated throughout their career and sailed through and finished on top of the world and been a superstar. They have all had those moments along the way where it hasn't worked, mm. where they've crashed their car or they've got injured or they're spraying off the tee or they can't get there, whatever it is. Yep, done all those. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's what I want to ask you about, mate. There's so much talk about you in the 2009 Ashes in England and then the 2010 Ashes in Australia. When I look at it statistically, though, 2009 where things started to go awry, you still took 20 wickets in that series. And 2010-11 where you didn't play all the test matches, you still took 15 wickets. Um, started off a number 170 at Brisbane though and then, you know, th- there was concern. So so those two series in isolation, we've mm. talked about that you were the Garfield Sobers Test Cricket of the Year, which you won again later on after this period. So you've got through it somehow. What was going wrong in your cricket at that time where you seemed to not have the same amount of control? Well, put, you, you tell yeah. me in your words. Yeah, yeah, No, it's a good point and, and it's it's – Strange because I've never been a statistic guy, but I have um, seen those stats before, and it's it's really interesting because yeah, in England I, I still was one of the leading wicket takers. Yeah. Um, twenty but, wickets, twenty wickets. Yeah, yeah, and you take that. Like yeah. my my goal as a Test cricketer was to take four wickets per game. So you're that, looking, and at, that's you know, twenty, isn't it, across the yeah. series? So, but it was uh, the inconsistencies of how I was bowling. I think um, very erratic. Um, there was a few things that were going on. There was there was the mental side, which was massive. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff coming out in the papers um, at the start of that series, which just I didn't know how to handle. Um, very that was personal with your, stuff. Your family, etc. Yeah. yeah, very yep. personal stuff, which was you know it's still it's still hard to, to sort of talk about now. We don't need but to go into um, that. Yeah, um, but it's um, yeah. I think the act, my action was quite um, slingy. In general, I mean, I got slingier as I got sort of on and, and lost a bit of strength, lost a bit of direction. Oh, that's a long way on the leg side. Went wide on the crease, Michelle Johnson. Paula wide. Four of them. Wow, Australia, what is going on? So when you become a slingy bowler, what happens is, and I don't know um, if any of your guests have talked about this, that any of your fast bowling guests... Um, when you're um, a Glenn McGrath bowler, your, your arm is same path all the time. It's it's really whereas a slingier bowler, you're out a little bit wider. Um, if you just get it slightly wrong, it changes your direction so much at the other end. So hmm. a few things. I was sitting on my back leg, didn't have the strength in my back leg, so then I couldn't get over my front leg. So then I had to pull my front arm out. So that meant when you your shoulders are connected. To, um, your arms and your shoulders go in the same direction you bowl. So if I pull down to my hip, my bowling arm comes over. So when you're a fast bowler, you're actually not bowling with your bowling arm. It's your front arm that's controlling that. So um, so basically because I was sitting on my back leg for too long, I couldn't then get over my front leg, so I'd have to pull out. So then my shoulders go like that, twist. So then I'm trying to chase it at the end to try and get it straight. Um, so it's very technical. So from that point of view, yes, there was a lot of technical issues. But it was more mental, to be honest. Um, 
I just didn't think I was good enough at the time as well. Like, and, and you start to read into things. Like I said, this is where I really struggled with the media um, and, the, and the, the Barmy Army. I started to believe everything that was sort of, you know, happening around me. But when you said you didn't think you were good enough, you're coming off a period as the most dominant fast bowler in the game. We're talking about the International Test Cricket of the Year. So when, the, when things started to go a little bit awry, how do you lose that knowledge and understanding that you were the best in the world, which is obviously more than good enough? Um, yeah, again, it's just the mental side. I think that's just how I, I was. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I've always been a bit like that, even when I think about growing up. And when I was playing tennis, um, I sort of, I never thought that I was the best best tennis player. Uh, I never thought I was the best cricketer coming through. Like, um, so I've always sort of just looked at others and sort of gone, oh, man, he's like, he's that guy's quick. He's fast. He's like better than me. So I used to compare myself probably a little bit too much, um, which wasn't the right thing to do. And I think that sort of stuck with me for a fair bit of my career. Um, but even when I first uh, picked up that test cap, I probably wasn't ready, to be honest. I hadn't played a lot of cricket. No. And I sort of got thrusted into it and, look, I'm glad that I did, but I had to learn in front of the camera as well, in front of people, in front of the big stage, you know. I, 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 was, um, I was pretty well underdone um, at that time. So, you know, I was learning um, on the big stage. So, yeah, those mistakes were going to happen um, and they did. Um, and no regrets as well because... Like I said, like I learnt from those mistakes. But I was just fortunate enough that I was able to have the determination to come back after uh, my toe injury um, and have a good plan. You mentioned the Barmy Army. The, the, obviously that famous song about Mitchell Johnson, um, we don't know to go into too many details about <laughs> it, but it, like, it, it's a famous song and they were singing yeah. it at the SCG when they were about to win the Ashes. You went out, got knocked over for yeah. a golden duck. England going in for the kill. Johnson gone first ball without scoring. Bowls to the left, bowls to the right. Mitchell Johnson is bowling his shot. He bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. And Mitchell Johnson is bowling his shot. Um, so that, that, I remember talking to you about this on Triple M Cricket. That, yeah. that got to you, that constant criticism. You, you mentioned earlier on that you're a guy that likes to be liked, which we all do yeah. at, at, at deep down, yeah. don't we? Yeah, but you've got to stick to your, your values and your, your morals and um, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, it definitely had an effect on I me. Mean, I think the effect was because I was singing it in my head, it was so catchy and you just, yeah, oh, have a good spit <laughs> Sorry, mate, I didn't expect you to say that. So you were singing the Mitchell Johnson oh, yeah. bowls to the left, well, bowls to the right in your head. Well, it was pretty hard not to. Um, I guess that's why they sing those songs. It was, um, they're so catchy. Um, so, yeah, oh, I think that just um, played into their hands and, um, yeah, I started to believe it. And every time you'd bowl one that was wide, um, the song would start up again. Uh, you, don't, you don't get missed. As, as a bowler, you don't realise that you have to go down to fine leg. This is what we used to have. The, we used to have the argument with the batsman, say, well, you go go down to fine leg and see how nice it is down there because you hear every <laughs> word that's being said. So, I mean, there is ways to, to go about it. You give a bit of banter back. You pick one certain guy out, like Brett Lee used to do it. He'd pick someone out. He actually showed me in England once when I was 12th man and he picked a guy out and had a go at him about something. And then the crowd turned on him. So <laughs> they all love love Binger after that. But I guess the, the thing is I, I look at it now and go, you know what, like the only reason I would 
do that is is because of the player I am. Yes. They obviously have that threat. You know, you're one of the better players in the team and, and they want to try and take you off your game. And, and I mean, Ricky Ponting used to say that to me when I was there all the time and he always backed me 100% even when I was, you know, not playing my best. So he, um, yeah, he, he said that to me early on and get to sort of get used to it and try and figure a, figure a way to, to block it out. Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to block it out straight away. Um, it took me a while. So, um, but like I said, um, no regrets about it. I, I was able to, you know, get better from it and find ways to, to block it out. And the way I blocked it out um, was singing the, the Frozen song because of my daughter. <laughs> so you got rid of the Mitch Johnson left, right, and you started singing Frozen in your head. Uh, yeah, yeah, it helped. <laughs> How does that song go again, Jono? Let it go, <laughs> let it go. It sort of made sense too, you know. Like yeah, let the it does. Ball go. It's very so, healing. Um, not sure my singing's healing, but uh, no, you yeah, had a sure. go. <laughs> I normally wouldn't. I'd normally get too shy, mate. But, um, no, it's um, yeah. I had to find a way, and I actually went back before that Ashes series thirteen four. I had a, a one day tour in England, and um, it was a real tester for me to to go through and see how I could block it out. I, I guess everything had been said as well, like. I've been called every name under the sun, um, the songs. I knew all the songs. So there was nothing new that could happen, you know, that I could hear and just go, oh, and sort of surprise me. Whereas the first time in 09, it shocked me big time. I didn't realise that people would do that to take you off your game. Yeah. Um, especially in the crowd, you know, maybe as, as players, but I never expected it from media or the, or the you know, the, the, the Barmy Army or, Yeah. Something, Jono, that has really changed, I reckon, in the last five to ten, probably just at the tail end of your career, but certainly not in the midst of your career, is athletes being open and honest about their mental health. And I've sat here on this podcast and listened to countless athletes recently. Kate Campbell talk about how much she struggled before the Olympics. I think cricket is a really good example with Will Pekoski's yeah. really taken it on board and talked about it openly, which... You know, you say this so many times, but when the average he or she on the street hears triple Olympic gold medalist Kate Campbell talking about her struggles in the mental health space, it makes the rest of us mere mortals think, oh, it's okay. It's okay to yeah. go and seek help, etc." And I know you spoke about this when you were on, on SAS. Yeah. What, what's... It's what you're comfortable talking about, but what's mm. your experiences being a top-level athlete when you're under the pump and everything is going wrong and people are giving it to you left, right and centre, how how difficult a space can that be when you're going from hotel room to hotel room, the results aren't coming and it's on the back page and the front page? Yeah, it's it's a really tough one because um, I guess you have to, to know what how far you can take yourself mentally as well and what you can take. Um, that's why I think... Um, have to be careful with this sometimes. I think as a youngster coming through, you know, you got to know what hard times are, and, and sometimes it's just hard times. It's not more than that. Um, so there's that understanding, and I think that comes with experience. Um, but if you know, you know. And I, I guess I knew in my career where there was times where I just wanted to be in my room by myself, and I knew it was a bad idea because all I would do is think about the things that were being said about me, how bad my last performance was. Um, I'd, I'd look up on the internet and you'd read all the all the crap, basically, and you, 
I knew that was a bad thing. So I knew something was going on early on with me. Um, obviously, it stems back from a from a long long time ago. But um, cricket was sort of a it sort of mastered a little bit, and I was able to use it to, to my advantage a little bit. Um, and I guess that's where that aggression came in as well. Okay. I was probably angry with things about myself, but once I was able to control that on the field, I actually felt a lot better. Um, and I was able to enjoy myself. And that last three years, I absolutely loved the last part of my career because I did it my way. And I was at a stage where I felt very mature in the game, um, still learning, but um, just knew what was going on and I wasn't lost. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it's great that we can speak about these things now. And when I went on the SAS show, I actually, I think that's probably the reason why I really went on. Um, it wasn't about anything else. I thought maybe it was to prove something, to prove that I was tough and could get through it. Um, but ultimately, I remember going on there going, I'm not going to talk about mental health. I know what they do on those mirror rooms. They, they sort of break you down and, and things like that. Um, I'm not going on there to talk about it. And I ended up going on and talking about it. So mm. if I didn't, I don't think I'd be talking about it today. So, yeah, there was the support that came out of that was incredible. Um, the amount of people that I knew that um, have some, you know, some depression or they've had yep. worse or, you know, gone through things in their life, these people started talking to me about it. Um, you know, a, a guy that delivers here for us um, at our house, he, he started talking. He's an older guy. He goes, yeah, we just, you know, I've been suffering myself. And it was sort of back in my day, it was just like toughen up. And that was it, you know. Um, maybe we just back then, no one knew how to deal with it, I guess, and, it's just good, I think, um, being able to, to do it, um, come out and talk about it because it does, like you say, everyone's everyone's the same. Everyone's just human being. Um, some of us just go through uh, different things in our lives um, and, and we all got it in a different way. There's no, you got it a little bit, you got it a lot. Um, everyone's circumstances are different. Um, but when you've got it, it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, you know, I still like, I fight it every day like it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, even when I was down down on my, my property, I just have those moments of where I start thinking about things and I'm a bit of an overthinker and um, that's when it starts to trouble me a bit. But, you know, I sort of move on and, and try and do something, keep myself active, um, which is very important. Find something that you, that you like to do and, and sort of stick to a bit of a routine with it. I think that's where I struggled when I came out of the game was that lost that routine and I started to you know, have a bit too much time to think. And it sort of reminded me of when I do, when I did go um, back to my room and had that time to myself, mm. I just knew that I needed to be around someone or just to talk to someone. I did start to talk to a few of the boys actually um, just to see if they were okay at the end of my, my career because I sort of had sense, you know, we we're all going through the same sort of thing. Um, you know, through a cricket career, everyone's watching you and, um, well, you, not everyone, but, you know, you are under the spotlight and everything you do is, is um, can be criticised. But, yeah, I just asked a few of the boys to see if they're okay and, you know, they're missing home and, and things like that. And, and I think that's really important just to, just to you know, have those conversations. It doesn't have to be deep or anything like that, but I think it's just, just having a conversation about something that's actually a, a serious thing. And you said, you know, you, you still keep on top of it today. How does it, you, it's a personal question, yeah. how does it manifest itself in you, Jono? Is it a sensation? Is it a feeling? Is it a view? Is it an outlook? Mm. How do you know when it's coming and then how do you, 
oh, I don't want to use the wrong terms yeah. here because I'm not a doctor. How, how do you cease the situation? It's tricky. Like sometimes, yeah, I get a lot of anxiety. It's just – but there's also um, – one of the biggest factors is alcohol that I've found right. as well. Like I, I, through my career, I actually stopped, stopped drinking a few times. Um, there was one, one incident in – I think it was with the Scorchers at the back end of my career. I had probably three beers with AJ Ty. We were rooming together. And, yeah, it was, it was only three beers because uh, we're in the, uh, the room together having a good chat. A couple of pale hours, having a good chat with him and went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night feeling like absolute rubbish. And I was like, oh, so I've only had three beers. Like I should be feeling okay. You know, I'm hydrated, been drinking my waters and and I sort of had a really rough sleep and I woke up the next day and I felt really ordinary and I just felt really anxious as well. And I know it's depressant. And I just sort of thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I can't drink. I'm not, I'm not going to drink for six months. And I ended up stopping drinking and I, I did it for like probably eight, nine months and felt really good. And then um, it sort of, you know, as time went on, I just have a few beers here and there. It's, it's, I notice it more when I've had a, a, a larger sort of night or a larger day, whatever it is. But I generally, like, I try and not drink too much. Um, I just want to do it because, you know, there's a birthday coming up or... yeah. But if I get into a habit of drinking a couple of days in a row, that's when I notice, you know, I get really anxious. I start to have that worry. Um, and then I just slide into that sort of depressed state, I guess. Um, so, yeah, the way I keep on top of it is, is it's, it's just being around people, um, being active. Um, you know, at the moment I've, I've sort of started going back to doing my gym, doing a bit of jiu-jitsu, just things that I'm interested in, um, trying to work out a good routine, something that works for me and my family um, and having, you know, that good focus on the kids when they're home. Um, but it's it's a battle every day. Um, I still try and, yeah, I, I don't, sometimes I don't understand it. Like I, even last night I sort of was reading a few things about mental health and I'm just, I sort of, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, yeah, it, it's a strange one. I, I should be, you'd sort of look at me and go, oh, you should be happy, like, I've got a nice house, I've got, yep. I've got cars, I've got family and and I try and look at all those things and go, yeah, I, I've got to be happy. I have to be happy. Um, but, yeah, not always. But the fact that um, you're prepared to talk about it, not only with me but the fact that it comes a, and as your kids get a bit older and mine is just starting to get to that age now where it becomes a conversation around the dinner table mm. and, it, and it's an open conversation like we must be miles in front of where it was when you didn't say anything and it was just, oh, geez, he's a bit of a grumpy prick, that such and such, or geez, yeah. she's a bit up and down, she's a bit high strung, which is the terms we all used to use, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're sort of, you know, starting to think about it with our daughter. Of course. She's only, you know, she's almost nine and, well, she's nine and, um, yeah, you sort of look at school and what they're doing there and then you look at social media and, and all the effects that has. Um just there's so much that goes through your head, but I think it's um it's definitely changed a lot. Like oh, I don't remember having any of these kind of conversations no. sort of growing up. Um, you just sort of yeah, just get on with it and yeah, I, I may have, may have been different with my dad's time. I know, I know him. I know he went to boarding school growing up, worked on a property, so had a bit of time by himself. Um, yeah, don't know. He seems like he's okay. Um, whether he is or not, <laughs> you don't know. Like, he just doesn't yeah. say much. It's just the way he grew up. He just sort of crack on, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a 
it's a generational thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. I, I appreciate you talking about it openly. And before we get to the uh, destruction of England, which I'm looking forward <laughs> to the destruction of England, I'm happy you're smiling about it. I, I forgot about this and, and I read all sorts of accounts about homework gate, Jono, <laughs> which is an extraordinary scenario. I read Junior's comments and I love Mark Wall. I love Mark Wall and he's one of my favourite people to work with because he calls it how it is. And his comments yeah. were like, they haven't filled out some paperwork and they're not playing for Australia. This is a joke. And that that's how it seems. So yeah. for those that are not aware, 2013 Tour of India, yourself, Uzi, Jimmy Pattinson and Watto got stood down because you hadn't done – your homework, in theory. Mm. I think Watto jumped on a plane and came home. He, he was completely jacked. Mickey Arthur was the coach. Was I think Clarky was the captain. Yeah. What What were you meant to have done? What was your homework, Jono, that you didn't do? So I think it was, uh, was it Hyderabad? I think we'd lost it, I think. Um, anyway, we're, we're sitting down after that match and we've just been pumped. And I think I was 12th man at the time. Um, and I was just sort of sitting there going, oh, what's going to happen now? We're going to have a bit of a meet. I think it was well, 2 nil down or something. And Mickey comes comes in, starts talking to us, um, and he, he goes, okay, we're going to have a few days off. Go and do what you need to do. Go relax. You know, find something to do, whatever. Uh, but I need you in that time to write a couple of things down and how we can improve. Okay. So my initial thoughts, and I should have, you know, should have done it. I should have put my hand up straight away and gone, "Well, why don't we just come and see you um, and have a discussion about it?" Um, you know, I felt like that was a better way to go about it instead of writing a few few notes down. Um, anyway, so I left it, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." So I, mean, I think we had four days, and just completely forgot about it, and get this get this phone call on our, um, in the hotel in our room. Uh, we need you to come up uh, to the boardroom at this time. I was like, okay. So I went up. I think Pato or Uzi, Pato had just come out and then of, of, a, of a room. And Uzi was next. He just got up as I went to sit down. And Pato looked a little bit sort of, I don't know if he looked upset or just looked, I don't know, bit bit sort of shocked maybe. Um and Aussie goes in and he came out with the same sort of look and we're just like looking at each other and he's and I walk in and um yeah, Michael Clark and um who do we have else? Uh, Mickey was in there and our team manager, Gav Dovey. Yep. And they sort of straight away get into it. We're gonna to get to the point. You haven't done your what we've needed you to do, you had four days to do it. And I went, What do you mean? And it was sort of I just totally forgot. Like I said, look, I've forgotten about it. Why don't we just talk about it? And no, we have to draw a line in the sand now because you know things had been going pretty sour at that time. A lot of um, a lot of stuff going on the team that wasn't good, and there was a lot of groups in the team. And it's it's actually a pretty long story to be honest. Um, that one, but um, yeah, this this sort of just blew me blew me away. And um, I remember Gav Doby had said. Um, oh look, we—they need me. Uh, Cricket Australia need me to talk about you know, get team culture going, blah blah blah. And I said, and not the nicest words. I said, shut the. You're not the. You're not a player. You don't control team culture, which I felt like was a fair point um, because the players should have that control of the team culture. If it's bad, then we all discuss it. Um, but yeah, it 
sort of fired me up a little bit that the fact that we we're going to miss a test match because we didn't write a couple of words down. Um, really so what did you think when they said you're out in the next test? I couldn't believe it at first. I said, I just thought they were joking, like, because it was such a little thing. But I'll take responsibility for it. I should have, I should have done it. Um, and look, I don't. I, I accepted it at the time, um, but I didn't like it. I think it, I thought it was just too much because um, there'd been things that had happened that were a lot worse than not writing a couple of things down. And I did find out later that there was a few. A message that was going around that um, you know, don't forget to to do your, your team, um, write down your homework, basically, get it into Mickey before six o'clock today or wherever it was. So that sort of you know annoyed me a little bit as well. But um, yeah, we ended up yeah missing a test match because because of that. Um, I had I remember in Mahali we had a net session that morning as well, and I was still in shock. I'm just sitting there like in the what I was like heading off. I'm um, going back. He's having the um, his birth of his first first child, I think. So he's off, and I'm just sitting there. I was a bit dazed. I was like, oh. and um, yeah, we had this net session. And I just bowled as fast as I could in the nets. Um, <laughs> had steam coming at me. As I think it was Ellie De Winter was our bowling coach at the time, and he tried to like talk to me, and he said, "No, nah, there was no chance. You were just like gazed over your eyes. You just you just didn't care." So, yeah, I bowled, bowled in the nets pretty quick. It was actually Husey and um, Maxi, And I actually apologised to them at the end of the session because I sort of took it out on them a bit. And they were like, no, no, it was all good. It was a really good session. <laughs> I was like, okay, that was good. I was, uh, my biggest thing was I still I was counting the balls that I was bowling because I didn't want to bowl. I wanted to keep it like as a game situation. So I didn't want to bowl like six bounces in a row. So, you know, I'd bowl my bouncer, um, my, my two bounces I was allowed, and then I'd you know, bowl normal, normal length, but I was just had steam coming out my ears, and yeah, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty disappointing the whole, the whole situation, and yeah, you can't get that back. Back to Mitch, 2013-14 Ashes. I need to give you some numbers here. 37 wickets, steady at an average of 13.7. Brisbane four for 61, five for 42. Man of the match. Top of the air. This will be it. Johnson will get it. Court and bowl Johnson ends the test match. Australia 1-0 up in the series. Adelaide 7 for 40, 1 for 73. Man of the match. And taken. Wonderful catching from the Australian captain. Mitch Johnson's got five. Perth 2 for 62, 4 for 68. The crowd are with Johnson. This is like the days of Lillian Johnson. In comes Mitchell Johnson now. Melbourne, 5 for 63, 3 for 25, man of the match. Big shirt going there. He's given it. He's got five. That's three man of the matches in an Ashes series. Sydney, 3 for 33 and 3 for 40. Oh, that's low. That's kept low. And he's gone. The man of the series is Mitchell Johnson. What is it like? Everything you've gone through. When you are several levels above what the opposition can handle, which is what happened in that, that Ashes, mate. You know, uh, Joe Root was quoted 
saying some extraordinary stuff about he'd get out and he'd say, what am I doing? Why has he made me play that shot? You know, you had the K- KP backing away and you in his face and the moustache and it was, um, it was described <laughs> as like Lillian Thompson in their heyday but there was only one of you. I could pump you up more and more and more, John. but what I want to know is what is it like when you are a class above world-class athletes? Oh, it was an amazing feeling. Oh, don't get me wrong. Um, it almost wasn't at the start, though. The, the first, my first um, two or three overs, um, I remember Alistair Cook pulling me in front of Square. Oh, that's not good. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, I've looked back on the um, on YouTube at the shot, and he actually played it probably off his badge, like out in front. So it was badge height, and he's not he's not a short guy. No. And he's pulled it in front with good control and I'm just like, oh, that's not good. So I had to take a couple of deep breaths and I got taken off because I was a little bit erratic when I started. I think um, I couldn't breathe for the first two overs. I was so nervous. Um, But I I just needed to get myself going, get that first wicket. Jonathan Trott, when he came out, um, down leg side, stuck to a pretty simple plan with him. But yeah, once it sort of the, it sort of just I just got onto a roll, and I guess um, my my role throughout that test t- test series was short sharp spells. So generally it was three over spells. Um, but use my bouncer, use the intimidation factor, um, and why it worked was because I had Ryan Harris and Peter Siddle and Nathan Lyon playing their role. Yes, and I mean that like genuinely, like it is so genuine that. I feel that way because I look at past series and you sort of think, you know, you have moments where everything works um, and everyone's like going together. But it just seemed like we went together the whole series. We didn't back off the plan. We, we stuck to a really simple plan and we had simple roles, Rhino getting it up there, swinging the ball like the Alistair Cook ball in, um, in Perth. Um, that was him all over. And Sid's just, you know, nibbling it away when he came in. He hardly got, you know, the result. But he was a big part of that 37 wickets for me. If he didn't bowl the way he did, mm. um, Lino, Lino really started it for me as well. I think in that Brisbane test, he, he, he got onto a bit of a roll um, and it sort of helped me when I came on to bowl. Um, so he, he played a massive role as well. So it's, um, yeah, everyone just doing what they had to do and everyone enjoying it. I think, um, yeah, we just, we just really enjoyed each other's company at the time and, um, you know, they, that, that was not you know not that long after um, the homework gate, really. No. Like, so you know, I sort of made a conscious effort just to enjoy my cricket and play it because we're playing for Australia. That's you know, what Darren Lehman talked about. You know, you should be enjoying yourself. You're playing for your country. Let's not forget about having fun. Um, we'll work hard, but let's have some fun while we're doing it. And that's sort of um, what I try to do, really. And um, it- but are, are you standing at the top of your mark? You, you know, you talked about the fact you don't think you're good enough, etc. And you're 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 a mild-mannered customer. Are you standing at the top of your mark, thinking I, I'm beyond what these blokes can handle now, or it doesn't get to that level of confidence? And an edge, Hatton's got him. McGuire's going to have to go. Mitchell Johnson's on fire. No, I thought I thought I definitely had had it over a few of them. Um, who had a clear plan against their tail just to really ruffle them up and to keep going through that whole series doing that because of Stuart Broad, really, because he can't hold the bat. 
Um, so there were a few guys in there that I just felt like I was going to get out every time. Huh. Um, so you do go through those moments um, where you feel you feel on top of the world. You feel light as a feather. You feel feel fast. Um, you can do anything you want. It doesn't. It almost feels like you can't do too much wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I I felt sort of. I wouldn't say um, invincible or untouchable, but. Maybe something a bit under that. Okay. And what, <laughs> what, you knew, what, what, because you knew the game could bite you, bite you in the ass at some point. So you had to, you had to really keep that focus and keep that that drive going, keep your discipline. Um, so you couldn't get too far ahead of yourself, and that's that's why I was so happy with when I played that Brisbane test, and then went on to Adelaide and, and had that consistent, and then sort of it just kept going. So yeah, you you got to enjoy it, but you've also got to remember once that game's over, that's it. Like you can't live off that. Yeah. And I think maybe in the past sometimes I may have just gone, oh, you know, I'm going all right here, you know, next next test is going to be the same. So you can fall into that trap. So I made sure I didn't. I just, you know, enjoy that moment. It was awesome. But then you move on to the next one and we, we make it hard for them again. And so you talked about the Barmy Army. What, what happens when you go back down and find leg and you sort of got 20 and then 25 and then 30 wickets and there's um, – you know, are they still singing? Are you going <laughs> yeah. back over the fence saying a scoreboard material yeah. now or not? Well, yeah, I, this is the one thing I'm embarrassed about, to be honest. I, I, most of the time I got a wicket, I'd, I'd make sure I'd run over towards them or, or give them a bit of a sign. <laughs> so I do feel a bit embarrassed about it, but I felt like it was sort of deserved at the time because um, I'd copped enough stick. Yes. And, it, and actually the boys were pretty supportive of it as well. They They gave it back. I think it was in Melbourne. I was copping it from the crowd, uh, the the Barmy Army again, and they just they were relentless. And I think I got a few wickets, and a few of the boys turned around and they were counting on their fingers, and <laughs> it's like that so it was good to have their support. But yeah, they never gave up. But one thing the Barmy Army did they they congratulated me at the end of my career. Yes, they sent me a personal message, and did they? So they they yeah, and they, and they've done it a couple of times actually. They, they've um and uh, with the mental health side of things, I've I've have had them um. The, the head guys there just come and you know send me a message and it's really thoughtful um, of them to do that. So you know it just goes to show that that is really just it's not a personal thing. It is um, they're just trying to take you off your game when you're out there. They have that you know threat of the best players and um, they try to do their best to give the support to their team and that's how they do it. So um, it was nice that they could um, be human and um, send those messages. The battles with KP throughout that series were must-watch because, you know, he's an amazing cricketer and he yeah. was the one that wouldn't back down. If you'd bowl short, he'd be trying to hit you over square leg, mid-wicket, even straight back over your head. That was yeah. exhilarating test cricket, Jono, because you were at the peak and he wasn't going to back down. It was absolutely brilliant to watch that. Beautiful stroke from Peterson. Oh, oh, oh. He's fired up, Mitch. He's got to settle down here. He's really got to settle down. He keeps looking back at the sight screen and saying, look how wide it is, mate. What are you doing pulling away? And KP will always stand his ground. So the spice of the series continues. It's good stuff. I love this. But Mitch has just got to not let it go into uh, or go beyond where he's gone now. Yeah, and he was going through that period as well where he was copying a fair bit of criticism outside as well, like with team staff and the media, um, his own media back home. But, um, 
yeah, and he was still probably their best player um, at the time. So um, I remember the first test and, and I um, I made a clear sort of effort to not say anything to him and to probably most guys at the start um, of that series. I didn't want to say anything on the field, on the pitch. I just wanted to get on with my job. Um, and he tried to word me up after he got a single in uh, the Brizzy test and um, there's actually footage of me like covering my mouth and I sort of just scratched my nose a bit and then kept kept walking. I didn't say a word and he was waiting for me to say something back to him and um, I think he, he sort of knew something was a little bit different at the time that because normally I'd bite back and um, I just didn't bite back this time and, he, um, yeah, I think he talks about it in his book. Um, they just thought something was a little bit different yeah. um, at that point. So um, I guess that's, you know, part of the mind games as well. That's what I enjoyed the most. Um, well, that was one of the big factors I enjoyed um, of the game was the mind game. So, do you reckon the silent style situation that you're describing added to the mystique of the moustache? Because all of a sudden <laughs> you had that moustache and then you took 37 wickets, and it was like Dennis. It was like the 1970s, and it. I know people joke about it, Jono, yeah. but it was ferocious. The look you had going on. Yeah. Um, I probably wish I had it earlier in my career. <laughs> you would have taken seven hundred wickets. Well, not that. I think it's just it's just the look that it brought. Like I look I had sort of the baby face when I first came, and I'm like, oh, that's not very scary. Me sledging someone with a little baby face. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think the whole yeah the, the whole look was was pretty pretty crazy, um, and the support behind it was was amazing. Um, I know the boys weren't happy when I had to shave it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I had to shave it. We did that live on TV. Jess actually shaved it, and it was oh, that's um, right. Yeah, for fundraising. The most famous mo in Australia is no more. Mitchell Johnson, the demon fast bowler who terrorised English batsmen during the Ashes series, has shaved off his famous moustache to help raise money for men's health. But it will make a return. It was fundraising. It bloody hurt because um, it was one of those razors that had. Um, it was one of those new technology ones where you had to press the button and vibrate, but she didn't press the button and it like was ripping my skin off <laughs> alive on TV. And I was like, that's hurting. That's oh, I think you've got to turn that button on. <laughs> but um, yeah, so someone actually has that in at their house. Do they? In an urn. The moustache. I think, they, I, think it, uh, I believe they got it for two grand. <laughs> so I'm just waiting for about. 15 years time or 10, <laughs> yeah, 15, yeah, 15, um, a little Mitch Jr. <laughs> rolling around with his moustache. With, with some DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit nervous now when I think about it, eh? <laughs> One final game I want to ask you about. Your last game of one-day international cricket was a World Cup final mm. at the MCG. You took three for the Aussie boys have just won the T20 World Cup as we're doing this. Yeah, amazing. How loud was the roar where you were when Mitchell Stark knocked over Brendan <laughs> McCullough? Oh, my God. Bowled him! Got him third ball! Couldn't get bat on ball on the first two. The third one cannons into Oster. Well, and one country sinks to its knees and the other one jumps for joy as New Zealand's trump card makes its way back. I'm not sure it was the loudest roar that I've ever heard. There's been a couple of big ones. Peter Siddle's hat trick. Oh yes, was was um, on his that birthday. was massive on his birthday at, at Brisbane. That was pretty loud. 26 today, Siddle. Will he celebrate it with a hat trick? 
Get ready to yell, happy birthday, Tubbs. Here we go. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. Another one was um, Kolkata, early early years for me, playing one-day cricket where they had 100,000 people and you could not actually hear yourself think. Um, but, I mean, that's probably the top. It's up in the top three. His, that, that, the MC, MCG is absolutely amazing to play at. Um, and to go into that, that um, World Cup with the pressures that we had on us, we, we spoke about it at the start. We'd lost to them over in, in New Zealand Um yeah. And it was a good wake-up call for us, but we, we stuck to our plans and kept it simple. We didn't change too much. Um, and we came into that match going, we, we've got to get McCullum here first over. And yeah, Starkey bowled, almost got him first ball, I think. It wasn't wasn't too far away. Um, and I sort of thought, oh, okay, maybe maybe we'll be all right here. And then, yeah, fourth ball, I think it was, third or fourth ball. And, um, yeah, it, it World Cups, like, they're still that good. Um, and I'm, I know I actually just um, messaged Xavier Doherty um, just just uh, just recently, and um, he was saying it's the first time he's felt watching that T20 World Cup um, over in um, Dubai that he's felt like he's missed the, he's missing the game a bit now. Like just seeing cool. the guys celebrate, how they went about it, just how tight knit they were. Um, yeah, so he's um, yeah, I sort of feel the same way. You see that, and you just go, yeah, it's amazing, but. How did yeah. you celebrate it? I, I remember I remember Finchie telling me that he got on stage, I reckon it was the Espion, tried to sing and completely missed his cue and he said there's a video floating somewhere around but he hopes it never sees the light of day. Was it a big celebration? World Cup, MCG, yeah. home. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, you heard, you've heard about the, the George Bailey trophy. No, but I'd like uh, to hear no. about it. So he, 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 um, he sat on the trophy Right and broke it. This was a Hados thing to do. Hados used to hate the trophies. He would break them and you'd drink out of it first and he'd sit on it or break it somehow. Don't know if that's a good thing or not, but um, I think they always had a backup backup trophy. So, um, yeah, George uh, sat on the, broke it and then... On the ne- World Cup. On the World Cup. And um, next morning we're all getting ready to go to... Um, a function that we had to, to meet all the fans and, and all that stuff. So he comes into the room and he's got this trophy and it's um it's sort of like taped together a bit. <laughs> but he's come up with this story that oh, 4 o'clock in the morning they rang up this guy who was an engineer um, somewhere in Melbourne. He was probably about 40 minutes away and they got this um got into a cab and they went and saw this bloke who started welding it and et cetera, et cetera, all this massive spill. It was like a 20-minute speech he had for it. And... Um, Came back and he puts it on the on the table and it just goes dunk and it just goes and just flattens. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, and this is yeah, the man that's now. A, oh, oh, this is a man that's now a national selector. Oh, well, we're gonna have to put him under the pump too. I'm not sure on some of those selections, but no, nah, he's a good man. He's he's one of those guys that you needed in the team as well. Like he he came up with some some funny stuff. He, he's a good little storyteller. Um, he'd do joke of the day and and he. You know, use props, and it was it was pretty. One one time he had to use milk, and he um basically splattered milk all over everyone. But yeah, um, he was good value. Um, he was a good player too. Um, but yeah, he's now a national selector, yes. so 
we're going we after be him. careful. <laughs> Jono, it's been everything I hope for and more having a chat with you about the ups and downs of international cricket and your career. Because you've had such a varied journey, because you're a father now, you'll get the uh, importance of this question. For all the youngsters out there that want to achieve something, whether it be in karate or in being a tradie, a carpenter, being an engineer, being a cricketer, being a footballer, yeah. being a surfer, what from the lessons you've learned along the way would you leave them with? Um, patience is one thing. Um, just taking your time um, and not being in a rush. It's not going to happen overnight. There is a process. Um, and it's just another thing is giving you everything that you have. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do, I think. it's um, You give it 100% and, you know, you do a little bit more here and there. Like there's, I mean, that's one lesson I learned from from Matty Hayden was um, earlier on in my career. He'd, he'd do the extra work. Um, and he wouldn't do it because he wanted to be seen. He did it because he wanted to be the best. Um, and so that's one thing. Another thing I think is, is doing that little bit extra um, and not doing it for praise, you're not doing it for anything else, you're doing it for yourself because you want to get better. Um, but, yeah, also enjoy it. I think that's something we miss sometimes and, and I, I went through my career where there was times where I didn't enjoy it and I, and I probably should have. Like there's, there's no reason not to. Playing something that I love and, and getting that great opportunity to, to travel around, as, as much as sometimes you, you, know, you hate the travel, um, it can be quite difficult, but... Yeah, we've got to just, you know, take a back step, a backward step sometimes and look at it from the outside and go, you know what, this is absolutely amazing what we do and it's not going to last forever and you just got to enjoy every moment. Jono, you are a star. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I've been looking forward too, to it. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Hopefully I see you over the summer. Hopefully by the time this is going to air, Australia's doing really well in the ashes. But I appreciate your time, mate. Stay safe, be well, and good luck with uh, the growing family. I hope everything continues to go beautifully for you, mate. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you. Thanks, Howie. Um, really, really had a good time today. Um, yeah, we'll see you around. Many, many, many layers to Mitch. Thanks to Jono for peeling back a few of them for us. Just a genuinely nice fella who has a gun with ball in hand and has a really good handle on what is important in life. Thank you, Mitch. Once again, thank you all yourselves for listening in 2021. Have a fantastic break. We will be back early February 22 with the star that is Yana Pittman. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener